This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back one last time here on Six Rings and Football Things for the final beat writer interview of the season. Mixing it up a little bit. Usually I'm at Gillette, so you don't get to see the person, but I'm sitting in the same room as them today. I'm not sitting in the same room, but you get to see Doug Kide of the Boston Herald. And uh, I really appreciate Doug joining us today because uh, I previously had reached out to him to, uh, to talk about the end of the season and Bill Belichick. And little did I know that he and Andrew Callahan would be dropping what I guess is becoming an annual tradition for the Boston Herald, a, a breakdown of the dysfunction of the Patriots. So, uh, Doug, Doug Kide, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Doug Kide. Uh, Doug, appreciate you joining us. Um, big day today for you and Andrew and the Herald. Um, so I guess I'll start right out the gates. I think a lot of people have probably read the story now that they've listened to this. But what, I guess, was the biggest surprise for you as you were putting together uh, this story, which, as I said, comes on the heels of last year's dysfunction with Matt Patricia. What was sort of the what jumped out to you about year two of dysfunction in Foxborough? There, there's certainly a lot of things. I think a lot of the coaching staff issues, because you would have thought that they would have figured those out after last year with, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running the show. Um, certainly the fact that if it were up to Bill Belichick, would have liked to have brought Matt Patricia back as OC and then. You know, once once Bill O'Brien came in, that Bill O'Brien brought in his one assistant, but then had to work with, you know, it's a, a, a running backs coach who was a safety in the past, a wide receivers coach who was a defensive back in the past, uh, Troy Brown, who didn't coach for, you know, 15, 20 years after his NFL career ended. So I think, I think that that's one of the big things. And then also just the continued dysfunction in the quarterback room. I think that we all kind of saw that happening as the summer is transpiring. But, you know, to have people saying, hey, we really could have used a veteran in this room, an adult in this room, to push everyone in the same direction uh, and have people actually say that to us rather than just speculation about it. Yeah, certainly we've all seen from afar the management slash mis mismanagement of the quarterback depth chart. I mean, pretty um... – unprecedented for a team that has a questionable starter who's a young guy at quarterback to then 
cut everybody and not have a backup to start the season and then all the roster moves. And I guess we'll start there since you led us in that direction. Um, and this is, I guess, a Bill O'Brien question because you guys wrote um, – so we all know what happened last offseason. We know that Robert Kraft stepped in, had that press release. They're going to start interviewing for offensive coordinators. And you guys wrote, Bill Belichick had no intent of running the search in good faith last offseason. And we remember it was Bill O'Brien, Adrian Clem, Sean Jefferson. It was basically friends of Belichick kind of group um, had connections to Bill. Like what? What do you think transpired there? Did Bill just accept the medicine that was given to him from Robert Kraft, who has said publicly he wanted Bill O'Brien um, as the offensive coordinator? Did he just accept his medicine? Was he pouting through that? Pro like, what's your um, perception of how we landed on Bill O'Brien? And then why wasn't Bill O'Brien the savior that he was supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the most logical choice if if Bill wasn't going to get his way by having Matt Patricia here. And then... Yeah, it did not, you know, they didn't run the, the search in good faith because they were essentially interviewing Adrian Clem for the offensive line job. I think some of those wide receivers coaches who came in, they were potentially interviewing them for a potential wide receiver opening um, or at least, you know, see, see what they could find out from them, see if that would be a, a possibility. So I think that they were bringing in these other candidates to look at other positions within the staff, knowing full well that they were going to be ultimately hiring Bill O'Brien. And I think that Bill O'Brien to some degree was hamstrung by the staff that he had to work with. Uh, the fact that, you know, he, he brought in Will Long as tight ends coach, but couldn't have full say in, in everything that was, you know, he, he didn't handpick every other coach that he was going to be working with. And I think that there was some frustration, especially with the offensive line and at wide receiver, the development of those prospects, the coaching of those prospects. And those are two positions that we've since seen Adrian Clem no longer with the team uh, because of some health-related issues. Ross Douglas no longer with the team. He joined the Syracuse staff. Um, and I don't think it's the, the biggest issue that those guys aren't around anymore because things weren't working out anyway in developing players, in developing rookies. Obviously, we saw Demario Douglas have a good season, but a lot of the veterans who came in or the veterans who are back at wide receiver uh, have not had good seasons along the offensive line. Every plan that they possibly had for a right tackle didn't work out, so then they finally had to move Michael Wenu back over there. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it. And then just obviously also the talent at quarterback. But I also think that there were some things that the Patriots could have done to plan their offense a little bit better around the talented quarterback. And maybe that's not the case with Mac Jones, but with Bailey Zappi, you at least have a, a more mobile option back there at quarterback. And I think that they could have tailored the offense a little bit better towards him uh, once he did take over with, you know, maybe some boots, uh, maybe a few more RPOs, more play action, like just modernize the offense a little bit and build around the strengths of the quarterback that you have there. I think a lot of us from the outside have said for a long time, there's not a lot of talent on this offense. The offensive yeah. line, not good. The receivers, not like up and down the depth chart on that side of the ball. Ooh, good to see a C4 in the mouth oh, of yeah. a uh, guest, uh, former sponsor of the uh, Six Rings and Football <laughs> Things podcast. We'd love to have him back. Good job, product placement. Um, got but two in on this. The desk right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. You got the uh, real energy, the smart energy, you double dip, and I love it. <laughs> um, so, one of the real nuggets that I think a lot of people pulled from this story. Um, which, by the way, I should probably give the headline, the title, just in case. The inside story of the Patriots fall to rock bottom in the Bill Belichick era. I like it. Um, 
is Adrian Clem apparently voicing his frustration with the talent he had to work with uh, in a in a vocal argument or whatever you want to call it with Matt Groh? Um, where do you put the dysfunction of this offense, which is historically bad? Where do you balance out the coaching staff didn't work, the coaching staff wasn't a fit with just this is not chicken salad, this is the old school you-know-what, and there's just not a lot of talent on that side of the ball? It's it's tough to weigh that. I think that one of the frustrations that Adrian Clem had uh, with the offensive line is that he didn't feel like the group was athletic enough, uh, which got kind of some a little bit of blowback from uh, people that we talked to within the front office that, you know, if you're looking at Calvin Anderson or you're looking at Vidarian Lowe or Tyrone Wheatley, like the issues there aren't necessarily athletic related. Those guys are athletic enough offensive linemen. They felt like maybe the, the issue was more techniques that were being taught, that those players were behind uh, technician-wise, which then goes back to coaching. So I think for many, many years, you could take the, the chicken SH that you were referring to, um, and it would work under a guy like Dante Scarnecchia because he would figure it out. They had different ways of coaching technique. Then Adrian Clinton comes in. He's not really teaching the same techniques that I think that they were expecting him to because he had grown so much as a coach since being with the Patriots that, you know, I think it's also a degree of, okay, we were expecting the coach to come in and do one thing. Now he's doing something else. And we brought in players to maybe do one thing and now they're doing something else. So it seemed like that wasn't necessarily a great fit from the, from the start. Um, and I don't think that there's necessarily like infighting between the coaching staff and the front office just because it all goes back to the same guy. It all goes back to Bill Belichick. So like the same guy is deciding both things. Uh, but I do think that there was frustration from both sides that, hey, you're not giving me the players I want. And hey, you're not coaching up the players that we gave you well enough. One of the things that I found interesting was the um, way you guys wrote about Bill O'Brien really kind of taking over the offense, which makes sense. He's a longtime offensive coordinator, play caller, mind. But you guys emphasize that he controlled more of the meetings. There was less time for Mm -hmm. positional group meetings. Do you think, was that an indication that he didn't trust his assistants to work on their own with the players that he needed to micromanage and oversee more of the scheme of the techniques of just sort of the aspects of the offense. What was, what was your read and, and the indication sources gave you for why he was so micromanaging of the, of the time? Yeah. The, the sense that I got is that it was just with some frustrations uh, on the coaching staff. And like I mentioned, especially at wide receiver and on offensive line, um, you know, there's some debate whether or not, teams necessarily have the time to run those individual meetings the way like at this point in the season I was told that you know sometimes teams kind of meet as a whole anyway just to save time Um, but then I know that there was some frustration that hey like there's time in the day to be running those individual positional groups and it just wasn't happening so uh, ultimately I do think it goes down to what I would refer to as frustrations uh you know with with the offensive line and wide receiver i think that, that could um certainly be read as a lack of trust in certain coaches within the offensive staff uh to to be coaching up those players and to be developing those players the way that bill o'brien wanted them to be so um i thought bill o'brien had a really interesting comment 
in the middle of the season, I think he was talking about the quarterback position when he kind of mapped out the power structure of the Patriots and talked about Robert Kraft's up here, Bill Belichick's here, and then we're all down here. Um, in this story, you guys paint sort of Robert Kraft's up here, Bill Belichick, then Bill O'Brien, then everybody else, at least offensively. So I'm wondering, it's out there now. So if they didn't know, now they know Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft as they approach the biggest decision of their uh, ownership tenure here with, with Bill Belichick's future. But how much do you think they've been aware or when they were aware of kind of that it wasn't working? Because Robert was a factor in bringing O'Brien here. So he probably had faith and hope that this was going to work properly and not be an experiment like he called last year's staff. But do you think they knew at some point, September, October, when did they know? Did they not know until they read the Boston Herald today how bad it was and and what was going on there? Like, how, how do you think the knowledge made its way up the power structure in terms of this dysfunction? <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there's some aspects that they didn't know until this came out. And I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there's still aspects that we weren't able to put in the story uh, that, that they don't know at this point. Um, but... I think that it became pretty evident right away that this offense just was not functioning the way that an NFL offense should. The the back-to-back games against the Cowboys and Saints should have been a, a clear indication that, hey, the expectations that we had coming in here, because I even heard that from someone that, like, hey, everyone in the summer was talking about, hey, we have the potential to win nine games, ten games, like turn this thing around, flip it from what it was last year uh, with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, and that it became evident kind of right away that the people that were, you know, in charge of developing these players, it wasn't working out, uh, that the offense wasn't functioning to the degree. degree. And I I also do think that just even simply personnel-wise, some people were looking at what the Patriots did this offseason of, hey, we usually have a traditional slot receiver. Hey, we usually have a traditional third down back. And we don't have those on the roster right now. Um, and uh, they eventually found one in Demario Douglas as a six-round rookie. But you also have to consider the fact that they benched him for like two weeks after he fumbled, which I think that probably hurt the offense at that point as well because I think that there could have been something building there with Demario Douglas and they eventually found it again. But I think that the offense became a little bit stagnant for a while uh, when they took DeMario Douglas out of the mix as well. So I think it was a number of factors, but I think that it should have become pretty evident right away that what they did this offseason to try to fix things only really hurt everything more than it should have. Okay, so we made it, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes into this discussion, and we haven't said a name that I find interesting, and that's Mac Jones, (laughs) the first-round pick, the once-upon-a-time franchise quarterback and pro bowler and a guy Robert Kraft was a fan of and was not shy about telling us he was a fan of. This was supposed to be make-or-break year for Mac Jones. Put up or shut up. We know how it played out. He's benched four times and then is eventually benched for good. Um, A guy who looked broken a year ago looked, I'll add an ER on it, broken-er this year. Um, Is it... it, I I almost don't even know where I want to go with the question in terms of does Mac Jones still have excuses? We were supposed to put the excuses to bed by giving him Bill O'Brien this year and having a competent, functional offense, but does Mac Jones still have excuses, or can he point to, listen, I didn't play well, I turned the ball over, maybe I didn't even handle it well, but there was a lot of blank going on in the background. I think you guys said it was uh, completely effed um, in the background. Like, does Mac, Where does Mac Jones fit in here, and does he have an excuse, and can he point to... It wasn't all me like you tried to make it look like. 
he can try to make an excuse, but I mean, one of the questions that I ask someone is that like, is is there still hope for Mac Jones in the future? And the, the answer was like pretty tepid. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, because we we wrote a lot about Mac Jones back in October, where the expectation was that Mac Jones was going to be this heady prospect who could make changes at the line of scrimmage, like make smart decisions. Uh, maybe he didn't have the biggest arm, wasn't maybe the most talented guy, but you could trust him to do intelligent things. And then he winds up just like getting back there and doing, I think is what the source said was, you know, dumb SHIT all the time, like throwing the ball to the other, the other team, um, panicking under pressure. Like all these things were things that they were not necessarily expecting out of him. So that's why I kind of say that I don't know how many excuses he still has at this point, because we've seen it two years in a row now with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Obviously, there were plenty of excuses last year for why that didn't work. But for him to play even worse this season under Bill O'Brien, and I know that there's talent issues, there's talent issues on the offensive line. Like It all goes together. There's, there's multiple reasons why this team wasn't functioning properly this season. But I do think that the quarterback play was chief among them. Um, and I think that even just there's still kind of a lack of maturity there in the quarterback room as well that – I think that, you know, Mac was, I don't think it necessarily benefited him. Like Zappi's success last year, I think that maybe that hurt his confidence a little bit coming into the season. And then the fact that Bill Belichick says all offseason, there's going to be this quarterback competition between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Not sure if that wound up being the, the greatest thing for Belichick to do either, because then you're just creating a clash in the quarterback room of these two young guys whose personalities might not mesh that well. You've got Trace McSorley as the veteran in the room. I think that they probably could have used someone who had been around the league for you know, 10, 15 years, maybe not another guy who's kind of around the same age as them, just to push everyone in the right direction. So I don't know. Personally, I don't think there's a lot of excuses left for Mac Jones. I don't think that there's people in the building who think there's a lot of excuses left for Mac Jones. Um, and he could certainly find himself in the right uh, situation like a 49ers type situation where maybe he could have success but not if he's going to continue to make so many dumb mistakes and continue to panic under pressure like there's a lot to fix there for Mac Jones still uh, I won't speak for you but I'll speak for myself in saying I was dead wrong and this touches on what you just mentioned Mac Jones and the Patriots um, we all kind of thought Mac Jones was the most NFL ready quarterback and he landed with the most stable organization <laughs> for a young QB. And and it looks like we were dead wrong on both sides yeah. of that coin, right? Like, yeah, it's it, it's crazy how that worked out in my mind. Okay, so let's try. I do think I will say like if Josh McDaniels had stuck around, but when they took him, like there was definitely the possibility that Josh McDaniels was not going right. to be sticking around. So that's something else that we could have predicted. Maybe couldn't predict the fact that you know Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were next in line to be offensive coordinator. Right. But yeah, in theory, that should have worked out better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy that it didn't, but now we are where we are. We're at the end of this season. We have the Jets finale on Sunday, and we're beginning to talk about not the past and what's gone wrong, but how to fix it, the future in Foxborough. And clearly that puts Bill Belichick's job um, in jeopardy, or maybe the decision has already been made, as Tom Curran has reported, and that he's on his way out the door, parting of ways. Um, the, the future of Foxborough once upon a time included Gerard Mayo. It seemed like the timeline was Bill Belichick, two more years, breaks the record. Gerard Mayo takes over. We have a nice little passing of the, uh, the torch and they screwed that up with how bad they were this year. 
my question revolving around what we're talking about and sort of the offensive staff, if Gerard Mayo were to get the job, is Bill O'Brien still salvageable as the offensive coach? Could you keep that to, or, or has everything that's gone wrong this season derailed that whole plan to the point where you tear it all down? I, I think it's still salvageable. I don't know exactly what I would do with the offensive set, like especially that offensive coordinator position. But if Drug Mayo and Bill O'Brien get along well enough, if they think that they could coexist there with Bill O'Brien as Gerard Mayo's offensive coordinator, you know, it would be kind of a weird dynamic since Mayo was a player in Bill O'Brien's first tenure as offensive coordinator, then he kind of leapfrogs him over there as head yep. coach. But I think that, you know, if Bill O'Brien did get to hire his own full staff, if he got to make full changes, wide receivers, offensive line, you know, maybe running backs. I've heard good things about Vinny Sinceri. I've heard good things about Will Lying um, as running backs and tight ends coach. But if he's able to kind of dictate his entire staff, I think it's at least worth giving it one more year. At the same time, if you're Gerard Mayo and you know a really good offensive coach, if you really believe in someone to take over there, I don't think it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could make that change. But I do think that with as many players as you might be carrying over from last year, it might be a good thing to like let them stay within the system for another year rather than change things over again with a fourth offensive coordinator in four years. Um, but no, I think there's still something there to be salvaged. And I'm personally shocked at how ugly this offense looked under Bill O'Brien this year. And I don't think it could get any worse at the same time I said that last year than it did. <laughs> uh, but no, I think that if he was able to make more decisions, then then maybe it does look better, you know? Yeah. I think Bill O'Brien has enough proven success, college, Patriots, NFL, as an offensive coach. I don't need all the, the tweets about he stunk as a GM or this and that. Right. Like, As an offensive coach and play caller, he has had success with different quarterbacks, different styles, different things. I think he's a, a decent coach. But I guess I kind of put the cart before the horse there asking you about Gerard Mayo and Bill O'Brien and all that. Do you believe the Patriots will have a new head coach as of, I guess, sometime next week? Ultimately, I would I would I would go in favor of yes, but I don't think it's a sure thing. I think that the fact that you know, latest reports out there that nothing has been decided, that there's going to be this meeting on Monday. Mike Reese said that today. You know, who knows? Maybe Bill Belichick does still figure out a way to to still be head coach, and I think there's a path for that. I think that there's a some some logic to that. Like Bill Belichick hasn't lost it as a coach like as a as a pure on-field coach I, I was being told that you know he still prepares the team well he tells the team like this is exactly what's going to happen then they see it happen this is what we can't do and then they do it anyway <laughs> and that like i think that in that regard it is more a talent issue and him picking the talent to play on the team than it is him to be coaching the team. I think that relates. I think that him picking offensive coaches certainly hasn't gone well. Him picking offensive players hasn't gone well. So there's still a lot of talent for Bill Belichick as a coach. There's still a lot of value in Bill Belichick as a coach. There's just things that you have to strip away. I think that you do have to have more people having more say in the building. I think that maybe even someone has to have final say in front office. I think someone has to have final say in, in coaching the offense and, and picking coaches to coach the offense. And it all kind of depends on whether Bill Belichick is okay with handing over those duties. Once again, I lean towards maybe no because he's had that authority for so long and he's used to that in New England. So maybe he doesn't want to give that up. But I don't know if I'm Robert Kraft, like 
I'd at least try to keep him on. The defense has been so good this season that, I don't know, I just I do still think there's a lot of value in Bill Belichick as a head coach. And the person you'd be handing it over to, let's say Gerard Mayo, like, yeah, you'd have the defense still in place, but you're taking out a genius coach in Bill Belichick. Maybe you're taking away Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick. Maybe they follow their father. And then overall, you're just weakening your staff and hoping that players – are, are led better by Gerard Mayo that like just the changeover in front office and offensive coaching that would help things. But ultimately I think that you might be weakening an aspect of your team to be strengthening others. Yeah. I find it fascinating in that it does seem like if you just could keep Bill Belichick on a practice field at a whiteboard right. in a meeting room, everything's still at a really high yeah. level. He might be the best, but everything else is a disaster. Cause I actually, you know, obviously you guys detailed, the building of the staff and the management of those things behind the scenes, the roster, but even I think he has said some of the dumbest things at the press conference podium of his whole <laughs> career in like the last year. It's like right. the game itself hasn't passed him by that phrase that people like to use the game. He can still play chess when everybody else is playing checkers on a football field. It's all the, the extra stuff that comes across the head coach's desk and those, those roles. And I find that really interesting. Um, so as we wrap this up, what do you think about the immediate future of the New England Patriots? Because um, we have a contrarian afternoon show host on our station by the name of Adam Jones, who <laughs> hates everything, but somehow has convinced himself that the Patriots, if they do a couple things right this offseason, could easily be back in the division title hunt, the AFC playoff picture, all of those things. I'm a little bit more on the other side of the coin where I think, it would be borderline unprecedented for a team to replace their quarterback, their head coach, and their GM in an offseason and then just roll right out of bed and go from top five picks to playoffs and all of that. How long do you think this is going to be, what was that, rock bottom in Foxborough, and how long till maybe they can compete for actual contention? What Robert Kraft has said he believes is the goal each and every year to contend. How long do you think that'll be? There's definitely a path to improvement next year, but I would probably put it at 2025 or beyond as far as like competing for a divisional title or going far into the playoffs just because there's a lot of work to be done on this team. And I do think they'll throw around money this offseason. Uh, they have to spend a lot of cash. They're going to have a lot of cap space. But sometimes it takes a year or two for those players to gel. You have to figure out who's working, who's not. They're going to lose some players on defense. And they have to like start over at a lot of positions on offense, not just quarterback, but you don't know that And the left tackle is certainly gone. Uh, right tackle, you're either going to have Michael Wenu leaving, Michael Wenu back as a guard. Like You have no idea what's going to happen at right tackle. You have no idea what's going to happen at one of the guard spots. So like you're almost turning over your entire offense. So like, yeah, maybe they figure it all out and spend money wisely and, 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 go back to contending on offense, but it's just a lot to ask for in one off season while also potentially changing your head coach, certainly changing your quarterback. You have no idea who that's going to be, whether it's a rookie, which is going to take a year or two or a veteran, which only really gets you up to a certain ceiling uh, with your team. So now I'm not sure it's uh, I feel odd saying that I'm not as, as rosy as Adam Jones about the <laughs> prospects of the Patriots, but I guess I'm not. Uh, I do think that it will probably take a couple of years for them to actually get back into like legit contendership. Okay. And one final one before we let you go, and it kind of pales in comparison to all this big picture discussion. But if you were a Patriots fan on Sunday, whether you're at home, whether you're sitting in three inches of snow at Gillette Stadium, <laughs> 
Are you rooting for your team to win or lose this game? It seems like it's been the divisive question of Patriot Nation this season. Tanking, not tanking. I'll never root for them to lose. I'll never root for the Jets to win. What would you be rooting for? Like, because, you know, the top number two overall pick is still in play with a loss. I mean, I... I think you have to root for them to lose. Like I, I know it's I I've been kind of on Patriots fans a little bit about being like, why aren't they tanking? Why aren't they tanking? Well, there's no one like for the Patriots. There's no real benefit to tanking if you're Bill Belichick and you don't know if you're gonna be back. If you're a player who wants to get good tape out there, but for a fan, I'm totally okay with you rooting for tanking because like, yeah, it's it's very serious. Like if they could get that number two overall pick and they can get one of the top two quarterbacks in this draft, like that's massive. And if you fall out of that. Then you're talking about potentially having to trade up to get that quarterback, not getting that quarterback, and getting someone like Jacoby Brissett or Kirk Cousins or someone else. Like, it's pretty massive to to pick as high as you possibly can in, in next year's draft. So, I certainly would not have been blaming them for rooting for a loss against the Broncos. Uh, the Bills obviously went their way. I think this is going to be pretty tough to lose against the Jets with Trevor Simeon as quarterback, but. I do. I think that you can like root on Bill Belichick. You can cheer for him. You can cheer for Matthew Slater. You can give the team uh, the the I don't know respect that it deserves. While also in the back of your mind being like, you know what? It's in the best interest of the team to lose this game. And organically, if Chad Ryland misses a couple kicks and Bailey Zappi <laughs> turns the ball over on the first play of the game yet again, organically you might just be able to lose and everybody can go home happy. Uh, yes. He is Doug Kide, Boston Herald. Follow him on Twitter at Doug Kide. Go over to bostonherald.com today. Read the story from he and Andrew Callahan that details somehow, some way, the Patriots offense actually got worse after the Matt Patricia and Joe Judge experiment. Uh, Doug, I appreciate you joining us. And as I said, it's a very special one because you were on camera, and it's the final, uh, not only of the season here on Six Rings and Football Things, but it's the final interview uh, for a game for us of the Bill Belichick era. So I I guess you kind of made history today. That's huge. I I love making history. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you, Doug. And that's going to do it for another Six Rings and Football Things brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more.